Mac Power Users, Episode 79, Hazel 3.0. everyone, this is David Sparks. Along with me is my friend Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? Oh, David, I'm glad to be back. Thank you so much for filling in for me last episode on such short notice. I really appreciate it. No worries, and it's great to have you back. And today we're going to go back to one of our very favorite apps on the Mac, Hazel. Uh, Hazel is an automation tool, I guess for lack of a better word, that just came out with version 3.0. And we did a show on this, I don't know, was it a couple of years ago? It was, it was one of our earlier shows. I think it was in the single digits. Yeah. So we've always liked this app. And the 3.0 version came out and added a lot of great features. And we decided, let's just do it again and kind of start from the beginning. But we'll also include all the great new features included in Hazel 3.0. And in addition to talking about the new features in Hazel 3.0, we put a call out to our very smart listeners and got some great Hazel rules that I'd never thought of. And uh, so we're going to just kind of talk through some of our favorite Hazel rules as long as along with some of those that we got from the listeners. So yeah, I think this kind of go ahead. Go, I was going to say this kind of goes along with our autom- automation theme that, that we wanted to kick off a little bit this year. But it's it's easy automation. It's automation that anybody can do. Yeah, this is automation without any programming, which is pretty nice. And that's my kind of automation. In a lot of ways, uh, Hazel does the kind of stuff that people learn AppleScript to do in the first place. So you may find this is all you need. But uh, I know a lot of uh, listeners and readers that have picked up on Hazel and use it all the time. Uh, I do. So uh, let's stick with this show, and you may find that you are also a Hazel convert. So for people who have never heard of Hazel before, maybe they're new to the Mac Power users, maybe they just don't know what it is, let's, let's talk about what Hazel is. So Hazel is a system preference pane that does a couple of things, but primarily what it does is it will provide you with rule-based file management. And in a nutshell, what it does is it watches folders and performs certain tasks on those folders based on rules that you can you create. So again, we're going back to rules. If you're familiar with rules that you can use in Apple Mail or in many different other types of applications, which are basically if-then statements, if this criteria is matched, then perform this action. But instead of doing this on the context of mail, Hazel does this in the context of folders that you have told it to watch. So Hazel can do things like open documents. It can archive them. It can set color labels. It can integrate with Spotlight to add comments or pull criteria from Spotlight. It can filter based on any attribute that Spotlight can see or detect. It can import media into applications like iPhoto, iTunes, or Aperture. It can rename files based on a whole number of attributes. It can run automator actions. It can run automator scripts. So combined with those two tools, you can get very geeky with Hazel. And it can also, now new in 3.0, sync with other folders. Yeah. So that was a lot. But we're going to break that all down. Don't worry. That's just kind of the the overview of what Hazel can do. To put it even simpler, I think you could say Hazel will look at a folder on your Mac and do stuff to files that you tell it to. There are two other components to Hazel in addition to the rule-based file management. The the other components are app sweep and trash monitoring. So app sweep 
is when you take an application and throw it into the trash, that application, although this has gotten better with the Mac App Store, may have different hooks in the operating system and different pieces in different places. And Hazel will go through, try to find all the pieces of that application and sweep them up in the trash. So to do a little bit better of a, a delete and perhaps more of an uninstall for applications that don't have a true uninstaller. And take out the trash really is just Hazel will monitor the trash and empty it on a regular basis, whatever, based on certain rules or criteria that you set. So it can be after a number of days or after it's gotten to a certain capacity of your hard drive or percentage or uh, however you want to do it. Yeah. If you're one of those people that looks at your trash once in a while and realize it has 45 gigabytes of files that have been accumulating for the last six months, this is a pretty good rule for you. You could set it to say, you know, empty the trash once a month or when you get to 10 gigabytes or something like that. Um, and I consider both the app sweep and the trash monitoring really just icing on the cake. I mean, what really makes Hazel amazing is its ability to apply rules to files. It, because these are the things that we do manually and it makes us crazy. You know, when you get a bunch of files on, let's say you get a bunch of screenshots on your desktop because you've been taking snapshots and you just want to, you know, move all of them to a certain folder and you always want to move them to a certain folder. You can set up a Hazel rule that will look for screenshots and stick them in that folder and it can do even more. It can rename them and it can do all sorts of extra stuff for you. And that's what makes it feel like magic to me because as computer users, we want to be creating stuff on our computers we don't want to be spending our time dragging files around and drilling down for things. And Hazel is your personal housekeeper on your Mac. It does just that. Did you ever watch the Hazel show? I did not watch Hazel show. Yeah, see, when I was a kid, they used to put the reruns on when I got sick, and they, it really made me want to go back to school. It was it was really horrible. But, <laughs> it was really bad. But now I have okay. only good thoughts about Hazel because Hazel's on my Mac, and it does a, an amazing job. So where do we get started? Well, we could we could talk about as an example, we could talk about some simple rules that that we've set up with Hazel to give people an idea of what Hazel can do. Sounds like a good idea. All right. Well, let me give you one example of a problem that Hazel has solved for me. And this is a a very very simple two-step rule. This is about as basic as you can get from Hazel. So, one of my not problems, but one of the things that I do commonly is I will put files if I want to share them with people in the public folder of my Dropbox instead of emailing them because they're too large or for whatever reason. But I don't want those files to stay there forever. So I have a rule that with Hazel that monitors my Dropbox public folder. And the name of the rule is simply remove old files. I'm not very creative in my rule naming. But all it looks at is it looks at the file and it says, if the date added is not in the last week, move the file to trash. So that means I don't have a bunch of stuff sitting in my public folder that anybody could get to. So if whoever I send the file to hasn't gotten it in within a week, I figure they're probably not going to. So to the trash it goes. Yeah. That, I use a very similar rule to that. I'm a little leery of the Dropbox public folder. So I created a folder just called share and I get the link, you know how you go to the Dropbox website and you can get a link for any file in your Dropbox system. And I have a rule monitoring that one. It's the same thing. It has a limited amount of time and it will kill it after I think seven days. And it's, it's kind of fun writing someone saying, you know, you have seven days to download this before it deletes. 
I bet you have a text expander snippet for that. I do. And it's funny because <laughs> I have, um, occasionally I share things with, with attorneys. You know, we have large PDFs. I mean, we have the same problem in our day jobs, right? We get these big PDFs and we want to share them. So what I do is I, I encrypt the PDF and then I put it in the share folder. And, you know, you can't encrypt a PDF even with an automator script. That probably is another show. And then I call up the attorney and I say, okay, you know, the file is, I send them the link, but then I call them and tell them the, the, the password for the PDF over the phone because I'm, you know, frantic. And still half the time, and only lawyers do this, they don't download the file and it deletes. Happens so often in my day job. All my Mac geek friends, man, they, they get that thing down in like 20 minutes. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, so Hazel makes all that possible because it's, like you said, it's a real simple rule. Look at this folder. If any file in it is more than seven days old or was added, they have they have different criteria. We'll say it was added more than seven days ago, delete it. And you know, it's that simple. And when you start looking through the Hazel rules when you create new actions, it just kind of sets your imagination adrift because you, you've got so many different options. You can add color labels and you can like you said earlier, you can put Apple scripts in. So if you are an Apple script nerd, you can really make this thing sing for you. And I know some of our listeners have done that, and we're going to refer to some of those uh, specific Apple script based Hazel scripts at the end of the show. But even if you don't have Apple script chops, you can still do an amazing number of automation tasks using this application. So before we get into talking kind of the nitty gritty of some of some great Hazel scripts, let's talk about version 3.0. Right, because there have been some major changes in version 3.0 that have added some new abilities. One of the most notable ones, which I know you'll be excited about, is the ability to import into Aperture. It's now, for a while, it's been able to import into iTunes and iPhoto, but Aperture is a new ad. And I know you, I know you add, use Aperture, don't you? Yeah, so think about that for a second. This is really an alternative to iCloud if you do it right. For instance, let's say you've got a Dropbox folder that you keep new pictures in or pictures for import. And you put a Hazel rule on to say, watch my Dropbox picture folder and take anything that I put there and import it into Aperture. Now, you've always been able to do this with iPhoto. So when you're with family or someone gives you a picture that you particularly like and you want to put it in Aperture, but you don't want to take the time to launch the app and you know manually do these things, just drop it in that folder and Hazel will always be watching and it'll run that rule for you. That's really useful. And I think we'll get into some some other neat tricks down the line where people have actually used this as a replacement for PhotoStream, and we'll talk about that. Later. Yeah, exactly. And when you think about it, it could work. I don't think I'd want to do that because there's some things about PhotoStream I really like. But if there were, if you wanted to limit the number of, of photos that went into your Aperture library, uh, this is a good solution for it. One of the other new features in Hazel 3.0 is the ability to sync folders with each other. Yeah. So think about that one. That can one be very minute. powerful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what if you have a backup on, on your Dropbox or on an on a externally connected hard drive? You know how I feel about backups. You can never have too many. You could also use it, if you want to go like completely nuts, you could sync your Hazel rules. I haven't tried this yet. I'm just thinking out loud. I bet you could sync your Hazel rules to a Dropbox folder. So if you had multiple Macs, you could have synchronization of your rules between multiple computers. 
Hmm. That might be a little tricky because Hazel would have to be open to sync and then it might not be able to read its own preference. Uh, oh, also, now that I think about it, I believe that the rules are they aren't files, so it probably wouldn't work. But if you did have an app that used a file-based uh, system where you wanted to have the same group of files available on any computer, and let's say you've got to have them buried in your Mac hard drive instead of being able to use it off Dropbox, that's an alternative. Sure. I'd have to think that through a little bit. But yeah, it would work. You can also get significantly more sophisticated with your rules and conditions because now they can be nested and grouped. We've done that previously with iTunes Smart Playlists, where you can say, if any of these criteria are met, but all of these criteria are met and become much more restricted or much more open in the types of files that you're looking for. And now you can do that with Hazel as well. Yeah. So that was something we always wanted in iTunes, right? Well, we've had it in iTunes for a while. Now you have it in Hazel. Yeah, I know. But I mean, it, it, for a long time, we didn't have it in iTunes. And, yeah, except it doesn't work well with with uh, iTunes Match. But that's a story for another show. Yeah. But the... so. You just have to think about this one for a little bit as well. So if you can put conditionals or nest your group, your folders, excuse me, I'm walking all over myself. If you can put conditionals or nest your rules, that allows you to qualify them. It's, it's really giving you a lot of granularity with respect to this automation tool. Right. I, I uh, haven't used can- it as much as I, I would like to yet, though. I mean, it's it's relatively new release, and I'm aware of the nested rules. I've tested them. I just haven't come across the right circumstances to use them yet. Right. The The other thing that I have used, especially in the context of our shared Dropbox, is the ability to sort and to subsort into subfolders, which is going to be very useful because sometimes you want to monitor a parent folder, but perhaps you want to sort into subfolders or you want to monitor certain folders within a parent folder. But again, maybe not all. Yeah, but it's always had the ability to move into subfolders. Now it sorts them. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Hazel has also gotten dramatically faster with version 3.0. It has a completely new engine, and it's gotten some snappy new UI changes. So you'll find that Hazel will act much more efficiently on the rules, and it will be almost instantaneous. I never found, because I've used Hazel a lot over the years, I never found it to be uh, slow or or noticeably slow at all to begin with. Um, I think one of the tricks, though, is, you know, it's got to look at all the files wherever you designate it. So if you set up a rule to look at every file on your computer, that's going to be a problem. But uh, I've always pointed it at specific folders and, and really looked at those folders as a working place for Hazel to do its thing. Since there's not that many files in them at any one point, it's always been very snappy. Right. I, I can't really so, even tell it's any faster as it is now because I never noticed it being slow before. Have you seen any difference? I think it is a little snappier for me. Yeah. But I'm I'm using it on an older MacBook Air, so I'm using it on a little older hardware. Or a little slower hardware, a little slower CPU. Well, it's not that old. So, it's, your, it's your two-year-old MacBook Air, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not that old, but it is a slower CPU. Yeah. And me too. I'm using it on the same machine. Yeah, let's talk about our first sponsor. Yeah. Our first sponsor is Pixelmator. And you want to talk about the ultimate Mac app. This app is designed from the ground up for the Mac to be the most beautifully designed, easy to use, fast and powerful image editor for the Mac. So with Pixelmator, you can do just about anything that any of these big boy photo 
editing programs that cost hundreds, if not thousands of dollars do, but for pennies of the cost. So you can design and work with images. It has layers-based image editing. They have tools for cropping, painting, retouching, measuring, navigating, color correction tools, hundreds of filters. You can adjust the size and resolution of, of folders. You can transform images, pull out the background, make them transparent. Just about anything that you want to do with an image, you can do with Pixelmator. Even if you use it for nothing other than just cropping and resizing an image, you can do that with Pixelmator and still spend a fraction of the money that you're going to spend on one of these other big, massive photo editing programs. So I've been making some changes recently to the Mac Power Users website. And before I was using one of those other light image editing programs, because that's that's what I had. And now that I have Pixelmator, it is just a breeze. It opens so much faster. The images are so easy to manipulate and I can resave them out as web-friendly images. In fact, that's my tip for this week. We try to do a, a Pixelmator tip whenever we do a Pixelmator ad spot is they have a very elegant UI for exporting images specifically for the web and you can adjust the quality of those images, which is important now if you want your website to be optimized for the new iPad with the Retina display. So. Yeah, it's just $30 in the App Store. It's a fantastic image tool. I use it for everything, and I'm so pleased they decided to sponsor the show. And I encourage you, if you haven't, to go check it out. Just go to their website, even if you haven't bought it yet and you're on the fence. Just watch a couple of their tutorials, and you will be sold, because there's so much you can do with this app. It's not hard to use, and it runs so efficiently on the Mac. It's a great app. The, the Pixelmator guys have done image editing right. The introductory price is $29.99, as David said, so go get it now because that is just the introductory price and it may go up. This is money well spent if you do anything at all with images on your Mac and uh, tell them that you uh, heard about them on the Mac Power users and we thank them for their support of the podcast. So you can get Hazel at noodlesoft.com. Okay. All right. It's it's 25 bucks. You cannot get it in the App Store, and I think there's a real good reason for that. This app is running all over the place on your Mac. It's not going to fit into the sandboxing rules whenever they come out. So they decided we're not even going to go there. Well, I think it's a good good on uh, on NoodleSoft's part for not being in the Mac's App Store. I think. Yeah, no, I the think whole this, sandboxing thing is is up for debate. This is one where, like, I, I purchased some of these uh, these more questionable apps in terms of the sandbox rules in the Mac app store. Right. And uh, now I'm worried about it because if they get yanked, then, you know, I, my license is out of the app store. Uh, Hazel is one, even if it was in the app store, I'd recommend you bought directly from the developer. And $25 isn't a lot when you think about how much time this is going to save you. Uh, you can get a family pack if you want to run it up to uh, five members of your household for $45. And if you've got the prior version, the 2.0 license, you can upgrade that for $10. Yeah. But if you're on the fence, if you're not sure what you want to do with Hazel, they do have a 14-day free trial. So maybe you want to go ahead and download that now and put this on pause and come back and uh, listen to the rest of the show while you're, while you're in front of Hazel. Because we're going to talk now about a whole bunch of different rules that we're going to go through, some of which we use, some that our listeners have sent in about how you can use Hazel. I, I hear from so many listeners who love Hazel, and even from the first time we covered it, 
They just can't get over how magical it is. I think if you are geeky enough to download the Mac Power Users podcast, I think you need to get yourself into a Hazel license. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's talk about it. <laughs> and we should mention that Hazel is not sponsoring the show. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> We're just I just think it's so useful. It really makes your life simpler in terms of managing your Mac. As I said earlier, you know, we get Macs because we want to create stuff, whether it's contracts or music or a movie or pictures or whatever. We don't buy Macs because we want to spend time managing files. And this is just an amazing app. I mean, I have a PC consultant friend who I showed this app to and he like, he seriously wants to buy a Mac because of Hazel. It's just, it's so mind blowing to him. There's nothing like this on the PC. It's, it's just a great app. Okay. So anyway, I, I think I've been gushing enough. Let's talk about some of the things you can do with Hazel. One of the most frequently cited use cases for Hazel is keeping things on your Mac clean and tidy. And I am one of those people that cannot stand to have clutter on my Mac. I want a clean desktop. I want a clean downloads folder. I want everything to be in its place and a place for everything. That There's a name for that, isn't there? Well, it depends who you ask. <laughs> but uh, So I've got a couple of Hazel rules set up just for that. I have... Uh, Hazel rule that will remove old downloads from my download folder to make sure that that's nice and clean and tidy. And it, uh, Hazel rule, I have a lot of Hazel rules that will monitor my download folder. There's several that monitor my download folder. Yeah, so let's just and talk we'll, about that for a minute. Um, in fact, if you get the the trial of Hazel, I believe it has a set of download rules built in as an example. Right. So to set that up, if you have a Hazel open, you go to the left column and you hit the little plus sign on the bottom, and you go drill to your download folder, and you select that. And so under your list of folders, then the downloads will show up. And then in the right column, where it says rules, then you hit the plus sign again, and you can add a rule. And what you've done in essence now is told Hazel, among the things you look at, make sure you look at the downloads folder. And Hazel says, sure, I'll do that. And then the rules are a list of things it needs to look for in the download folder. So let's say, and one of the, the best things you can do in the download folder is you can look at the field called extension. At least I do. Okay. Or, or you can look at type you know, or kind. Kind is a good one too. So you say kind is, and then you can pick whether it is a text or a PDF or a movie or an image. So uh, let's say you download um, disk images a lot and that end up in your downloads folder. Because that's something that often ends up in your downloads folder. You can have it monitor for disk images. And then you can have it say, okay, if you have a disk image uh, and you can add an additional rule, say a disk image that's over seven days old in your downloads folder. Because if you download a disk image, most likely you're going to use it within seven days. And if you don't, you've probably lost interest anyway. Exactly. And so then what do you want to do with that disk image? Well, Hazel lets you decide. You could move it to uh, storage, like if you wanted to have a an install disk, which I'm going to talk about later. Or you could just say, you know what? I don't want to keep these disk images anymore. If I don't use it in seven days, just trash it and just move it to the trash. So that job now has been taken care of for you. When you have a download of a disk image that's over seven days old, Hazel just quietly throws it away and stays out of your way. Right. And and I actually have two uh, sets of Hazel rules that are related to that. I have one, and I'm going to let you talk about your Magic Installer disk, but I have one that's kind of related to that, that after two days, if the kind is a disk image, 
will move it to a folder that I have on my Drobo called installers. So it will move that disk image to my installer folder on my Drobo. And I also have another Hazel rule that will clear out anything that's been left in there for more than seven days. Yeah. So that takes care of most of the clutter in my download folder. Yeah. But, you know, other things you get in your download folder, depending on what you do for a living, it could be image files. And perhaps you want to set that the image files get moved to a certain location. Or maybe you don't want Hazel to automatically file things in your downloads folder, but you want it to, to remind you when things are getting out of control. So you could say any file that's over seven days old in my downloads folder, give it a red label. And then when you open your downloads folder, you'll see a bunch of red there. And then you'll say, okay, these are things I need to deal with. We had a lot of people who wrote to us and they have, and I don't have this kind of setup on my Mac, but a lot of people who have uh, inbox type folders on their Mac and, or action type folders on their Mac. I know you have an action folder in your email. Do you actually have an action folder on your Mac? I love my action folder. Do you really? I don't have an action folder, but they will move downloads or really move anything that hasn't been touched or that hasn't been used in in so many days to that action folder for further analysis. Well, I use it a little differently, but that's a great idea. Okay. so Uh, And and you can also set it to import import things into iPhoto or to iTunes. So if you're, if you're downloading media, if you're downloading photos, you can have that import, you know, appropriately to the appropriate application. Now I have a whole nother slew of photos or slew of rules for, um, statements and managing paper, but I'll, I'll talk about that. Now we have a whole paperless section. Another thing you can do is you can use color labels to trigger Hazel rules. So you could say, for instance, you've got a bunch of images in your downloads folder. You could say, if it's an image and the label is red, then throw it in the trash. And if it's an image and the label is green, import it into iPhoto. Hmm. That's a good idea. So, it's very, it's really up to you. I mean, because there's so many possible rules, you can combine these with, you know, the conditionals and the other features available to really set up a system where you can have a little bit of input or completely have a hands off. Right. Just a great, just such a great app. Anyway, I'm still the, the other thing you. <laughs> the other thing you can use Hazel for is to manage some of these databases. And, and David, you mentioned this particularly with your OmniFocus database. Yeah, was, Sometimes that can grow out of hand. Yeah, I've talked about that. You know, we, we have the sponsored Daisy disk, so I'm always kind of keeping an eye on it. Like you, I've got a two-year-old uh, MacBook Air with an SSD, which I need to be careful that I don't, you know, use up all my space. Now, I have an SSD on my iMac, too, and it's the same problem. So... The uh, what I do is I have Daisy Disk run and look for big chunks of files, and I found you know because I'm manic about my OmniFocus database, it backs up when I launch it, it backs up when I turn it off, it backs up. I, I, the thing backs up every time I sneeze. I think it runs a backup, and sometimes I forget to keep track of that folder, and so without realizing it, I had like eight gigabytes of backups for my rules in OmniFocus, you know, and each computer, I have a local backup folder. I don't save it to Dropbox because that's another kind of backup for me that it's backing up on two different machines. So if one just got nuked, I'd still have backup somewhere else. Anyway, so I was running Daisy Disk. I see I've got this massive backup file. And I just, all I did was I created a Hazel rule to watch my OmniFocus backup folder. 
and anything in there that's over two weeks old, delete it. So now I've got two weeks of backups, which is still quite a few backups because of the way I run them. I didn't have to change my behavior, but Hazel just throws out the old ones because if everything went bad, I wouldn't want a two week old backup of my OmniFocus anyway. Right. I do something similar with my one password backups. It was keeping, I don't know, for some reason, months and months worth of backups. So I set up a Hazel rule, found the one password backup folder, similar to you. Daisy just told me that this was a, a folder that was fairly large and just set it to keep. And I think in my case, I told Hazel to keep the last month's worth of backups. Yeah. So it's, it's not yeah. difficult. And this is another situation where a manual task that doesn't have anything to do with me producing stuff gets taken out of my hands. Right. Uh, Sill wrote us, Ms. Sill wrote us with a tip about cleaning the Spotify cache. Do you use Spotify at all, David? No, I don't. I don't. I I started to when, when it first came out, but I, I listen to mainly podcasts. I'm, I'm not big a music listener other than when I'm in the car driving on long drives and Spotify doesn't work so good with my AT&T service down here. But apparently the Spotify cache can really grow out of hand quickly and it can become several gigabytes a day. And although you can set the Mac size and preferences, you really don't need that old ca- those old cache files on your Mac. So Sil created a rule that checks whether the file is in a folder or whether it's a file. It checks to see if the folder in there is empty. Empty files in the Spotify cache get moved to the trash. And if the folder contains files, they get moved into a folder and the folder gets moved into a trash. So he has a, a, a couple of sets of rules that he has set up that goes in and looks at the Spotify cache folder and checks to see whether there's a, a folder chain in there that's empty. And if so, he moves the empty folders to the trash. And then he looks at the the cache to see if it's older than a day. And if it is, then he moves those to the trash. And he says he, he saves a couple of gigabytes by keeping that Spotify cache cleaned out. If you, uh, if you use anything that makes large cache files, I think this is a great idea. And it never occurred to me before we got this email to use uh, Hazel to monitor cache files. But just think about right. that for a minute. Cache files can get huge on your computer. And if they and they do serve a purpose. I'm not saying you should just delete cache files because that's in a lot of ways what makes your computer run faster. But if yeah, you've got and you a, want to be careful about what you're deleting. You want to make sure it's okay to to do that. Yeah, but but an app like Spotify where they're just audio files and they're taking up a bunch of space and space is an issue for you, why not? Right. Michael also wrote in with a tip about highlighting newly downloaded files. So he created a tip, and he does this particularly with applications, that when a new file is downloaded, um, he uses the Unix touch command to um, label that file. So if the he, he looks at the date modified on his new downloads, and then he embeds a shell script, which is a very simple one-line shell script using the Unix touch command to touch that file and then set the color label of that file to green. So he does this particularly with applications. And then those new files that are green, you know, show up, they're green, and they tell him, hey, this is a new file. You probably want to do something with this and gets his attention. And then he also has a companion rule that after three days, goes in and removes the green label because he figures, you know, it's no longer a new file, so it's no longer green. Yeah, I wanted to write Michael about this. I just haven't had time yet. I don't know why he didn't use the date added command instead of the Unix touch, because that's a lot of, that's kind of some extra steps for a lot of people. Where you can say, 
you can set a condition for a rule as date added. So even though the file is very old and it hasn't been updated in a long time, date added to that folder is tracked by Hazel. So you can use that as a condition for the rule. And I think that would work the same. I should probably. I think write. it would. I, I think it would work the same for the Hazel purpose of the rule of setting the file label as green. But what it does with the touch command is it sets the date modified to the current time so that it moves to the top in the finder view. And that's how he has his folders organized. Ah, uh, that makes sense. That makes but sense. but it would certainly work just for the purpose of of setting the label green or setting the label clear. Yeah. So that's kind of the inverse of the rule I talked about earlier saying make old files red. So make new files right. green. Right. Okay. Um, we talked about tidying up your your downloads folder but you know the thing everybody really needs to work on is their their desktop right yeah because it can actually slow down your computer if your desktop isn't tidy is that really true that is really true because i've heard i've talked to apple techs that say no it's just another folder and i've talked to other people who say no absolutely it slows down a a lot i can't get a straight answer to that if somebody knows right sure in, but I have to say, every everybody I talk to that has any authority on this has a different story. Hmm. Either way, well, it bugs me. Yeah. Either way, so you've and got it's such a it's such a PC attitude to have stuff all over your desktop. I'm going to get email about that. Yeah, you are definitely. <laughs> My wife does it. It makes me crazy. That makes me crazy. She too. she has she gets so many icons on her desk they start to stack on top of each other. Oh, you need to set up a Hazel rule for her. So one time I made up a um, a folder on her because I was doing some some maintenance on her computer and I just I couldn't take it. So I put a folder on her desktop. I don't know if I ever talked about this on the show before. This happened several years ago, but did I did I talk about this before? I don't think you did. So I put no, a folder on her desktop that. and it said Daisy's desktop, you know, materials I think or something. Yeah, and, insert word here. And I put. <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, okay. so that. So then I drug all of the files from the desktop into the folder and left the folder on, on the desktop. Okay. So I figured when she goes to the desktop, she can see there's a folder there. She can go in and find what she needs. Like 2 a.m. She was up late doing something. And like 2 a.m. I'm sound asleep. And she wakes me up, like wakes me out of sound sleep. I think the house is on fire or something, you know, <laughs> or one of the kids just, you know, imploded. I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm like freaking out. You know, she's, she never wakes me up at two in the morning. Where are my files on my desktop? What did you do to my computer? <laughs> oh no. Anyway. Okay. So obviously she doesn't listen to the Mac power users anyway. Um, so you're going to put some rules on your desktop that are going to try and sort things out. It works the same way that we were talking about the downloads folder, but you know, you've got different kinds of things. One of the most common examples for me, because I'm, you know, writing books and doing things about the Mac, I'm always taking these screenshots and it's really convenient having a Hazel rule to manage those files for me. Now, what do you do with your screenshots? Do you rename them? Do you reformat them? Do you put them in a particular folder? It depends. The, uh, I've had different sets of rules depending on the status of the operating system. When I first started writing the iPad at Workbook, we were still on iOS 4, and it took screenshots. And when it moved the screenshot over to your Mac, it left it always in portrait format, even if it was a landscape screenshot. So I had some really complex Hazel rules and Apple scripts that would go through and check the check the uh, the image, 
rotate the image, resize it to the publisher standard, uh, and then name it with the publisher's expected name with an ISBN number and a chapter number and a whole bunch of other stuff. Now, um, sometimes I just have it rename them. Sometimes I have it move them. I, it just it just depends on the task I'm doing. Because these rules are so easy to modify, I don't look at anything as in stone. So if I'm going to be working for a day on a bunch of screenshots, I'll just create a custom ruler script to manage those for that day, and I'll have no compunction about deleting them at the end of the day. And we should mention that you can turn your rules on and off. It's as easy as a checkbox. So you could have a checkbox for Mac at work rule processing, and you could have a checkbox for you know Mac Sparky screencast processing, and turn the checkbox the checkbox on or off depending on what you're happening to be doing. Yeah, Hazel Hazel has a little icon in your menu bar, and you can have it manually run rules. You can turn rules off, or you can get back to the Hazel preference pane all from there. Right. But I mean, just on a, on a, on a regular normal day where you're not doing any particular projects, but you're just, you know, on a normal screenshot day, do you have any particular, you have a screenshot folder or? No, I don't. Um, it really, for me is project specific. Normally I just let screenshots go straight to the desktop and then I work from there. If it's just a couple, uh, I just manage those manually because if it's like a couple screenshots, let's say I'm doing a post at Max Sparky. I'll just go ahead and just drag it in to the to the post at the end, and then I'll delete it from the desktop because I'm not going to keep it. Right. It's just when I'm doing like a book and I want to keep the images for the book, I'll have a rule that will rename them. And usually what I do is rather than move it to a folder, I will copy it to a folder. And that way I keep one on the desktop that I can use with the tools. I, I'm working on a new book right now. We'll talk about that probably in a month. Um, but the, in that case, I'm making kind of an archive copy of each screenshot with a, a new name and I'm keeping a copy on the desktop. And then that's a reminder to me as I'm working on that chapter to get that screenshot into the chapter. And once it's in the chapter, I just delete it from the desktop. I know it's already a copy put away. Okay. How about yourself? Right. No, I don't have a good method. That's why I was asking you. Okay. I thought you were going to school me. No, I was hoping you'd have a good idea. Well, yeah, this is all flexible. I'm not saying you don't. Yeah. I think this is all flexible. It just kind of depends on your needs. Right. That's the great stuff about all this automation stuff is there's there's no single right way to do it. Right. I know some people who wrote into us have specific um, screenshot folders is some of the way that, that they've done it. They've, they've got, for example, the screenshot folder in their documents folder, and every screenshot that ends up on their desktop gets renamed with a specific date format or – gets converted either from, I don't even know what the standard screenshot format is because I've, I've rechained it. Yeah. I've, and I've changed mine to something else, but yeah. And, and reformats it and crops it or, or something. And, and Hazel can do that. Yeah. Usually in conjunction with an automator action or something like that. And if you're like working on a shared project, you could have, for instance, a shared Dropbox folder where screenshots get automatically copied to that. So other people on the team that have access to that folder could get those screenshots. I mean, it, just, you know, it just depends what you do, but there's a lot you can do. And screenshots aren't the only problem on the desktop, obviously. Um, you know, I think the color label rule is another great one where you have the files turn red after a certain amount of time. So you have some kind of indicator that you need to deal with that file that's been on your desk if you, you, know, you have trouble. If you're really brave, you could say, 
all right, I'm going to set it after three days to delete it. You know, <laughs> it's <laughs> do like, it, do it. You know, it's like the movie with the guy with the ticking time bomb, you know, <laughs> that's where the rubber meets the road. And then add to that an automatic trash emptying workflow and you will take care of the files on your desktop. Yeah, there you go. You will or Hazel will mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. It's kind of like when your mother says no. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about how you can use, uh, instead of just tidying up, let's talk about how you can use Hazel to move and organize files in, in a little more specific way. Uh, Tommy wrote in with a, a one of these things that made me smack my forehead and say, why in the world did I not think of this? But a very simple Hazel rule, again, a two-line Hazel rule, you know how sometimes mail downloads, if you open them, will accidentally end up in the mail download folder, which is buried in the user library folder inside the mail folder? Yeah. Nobody knows where it's at. Right. That just watches that folder and moves anything that's accidentally downloaded there to the downloads folder so you can deal with it. That was brilliant. Oh, I can't believe I didn't have that done years ago. So thank you, Tommy. Ernest also wrote in a rule, and a lot of people are using Hazel in conjunction with Dropbox because Dropbox and Hazel together are very, very powerful. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. But Ernest has a Dropbox folder that is uh, shared with a bunch of coworkers, and this is where he and his coworkers put files. And I, I think what what's happening is like his mail is getting scanned and, and putting there. So what happens is this this rule monitors this Dropbox folder. And anything that goes in that Dropbox folder for him pulls it out, renames it, and then deposits it in his inbox, which I guess would be the equivalent of your action folder, which is where he monitors for all of his daily tasks to do and uh, pulls things out of that Dropbox folder. And that's where he checks and does his daily stuff. Yeah, that's how I do. My action folder is actually a folder on my Dropbox. And um, when the scan snap runs, it pushes documents to that action folder. Uh, I have built specific print to PDF commands in in on the Mac. You know how you can do that in the uh, print to PDF dialog that saves mm-hmm. web pages or whatever straight to that action folder. Basically, everything that every bit of da- digital data or or scanned images that I accumulate funnels into that action folder. And I have several rules on my desktop that send things into the action folder. Uh, so, and then I have a, and the action folder exists, number one, for me to have a place to go to, to see when I've got, you know, I guess I'd call it a virtual inbox or to see stuff that I haven't processed yet. And number two, to give Hazel a place to do its magic. Um, mm-hmm. For example, if I have a, um, if I have an invoice or I'm sorry, a receipt for something I purchased that relates to the Max Sparky empire, you know, something that's a legitimate write-off. I, it goes into the action folder. I can trigger a text expander snippet, or I can just name it something. And when I name it, if I put the word Max Sparky expense in the name, usually I just put it at the end. If I wanted to be trickier, I could say Mac EXP or something like a shorter name, but I use Max Sparky expense. Hazel sees and I'm guessing that, you have a text expander snippet that expands Max Sparky. Yeah, that that all works through text expander. And right. the when it's when it's done, Hazel sees that document, and it first moves. It makes a copy and sends it to my 2012 tax return file subfolder Max Sparky expenses. 
So it makes a copy of it for me. And then depending on how I coded it elsewise, it may send it to a receipts folder or it may send it off to an iTunes. Well, it just depends. I have different rules for different types of receipts. But in essence, I have two copies of it, one of which is all ready to go to the accountant at the end of the year and for me to review as I figure out how much money I spent. And the other one goes to wherever it should be. And then it clears it out of the action folder and I don't have to see it anymore. I mean, there's very little. All I do is I name the file and Hazel takes care of everything else. That's I have what, a couple of Hazel. That's why I love the action folder because it's fun because I dump all the stuff in there. But then when I go to actually sort the folder out, there's not much in there because I've got Hazel rules in there that do so many things for me that most of the work is already done. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're fine. I've, I've got a couple of uh, Hazel rules that are set up to manage and organize files. One is I've got um, this Mac mini that I added to my system about six or eight months ago. And sometimes I want to share disk images between the mini and the air. Or I want to share files between the mini and the air. And I never could find an easy way to do that. I thought that, um, what is that that new feature that Apple added? AirDrop yeah. was going to be the the great solution to that. But it didn't work real well because the mini is wired and the air is usually wireless. And yeah, It's got to be on the Wi-Fi for that to work. Yeah, there were there were all these issues with that. So what I did is I created two sets of rules um, on Hazel. So I, and a little bit of Dropbox magic with this. So one rule is I have a rule on the air that says uh, move to mini. So if I put if I put a folder in the a file in the Dropbox folder that says move to mini, the file goes into the Dropbox folder, and then a rule on Hazel watches that folder sees that a new file has been added to that Dropbox folder, picks up that file and moves it to the downloads folder on the mini for me to do something with. Or I guess I could have, I could have it set to move to an action folder, but I just picked the, the downloads folder. And then I have an identical rule on the air that I can move things into a Dropbox folder called move to air, monitors that folder, picks up that there's something in that folder, moves it to the downloads folder in the air. And that way it keeps my Dropbox nice and clean because sometimes I'm moving big files. So the files are only in there temporarily and they're also syncing over the land too. So it doesn't make that big of a deal. And it's almost instantaneous. Yeah. It's amazing the way that stuff just happens. Hey, let's talk about our new sponsor. Yeah. Let's talk about Fujitsu. Fujitsu is one of my favorite companies because they make the awesome line of ScanSnap products. I bought my first ScanSnap like, three or four years ago. And I, I use that thing. I still use the heck out of that thing. So, uh, so I think Fujitsu was one of the first companies that really embraced the Mac as a scanning solution. And they make this excellent hardware, the scan snap series. There's three of them. They have the S 1500 M, which is the big desktop one. That one got one sitting right here. Yeah. It's the fastest one. It has the highest capacity. It holds up to 50 sheets. You can just drop a big document in there and push the big button, and it scans it right in. Uh, they have a, a smaller one, the S1300, which is not um, not ultra-portable, but it fits in a briefcase or luggage, and it's a great – I call it the hotel scanner. You know, when I have a, have a trial out of town, it's always with me. And then they have a really small one, the S1100, which just runs on a USB cord, and it can get one page at a time. They've got the whole market covered in terms of, you know, big, medium, and small. But what makes them really special is in addition to this excellent hardware, 
They also have excellent software for the Mac. Uh, the ScanSnap software in the Mac applies OCR. It lets you set rules in terms of quality and types of scanning. You can set up profiles. I was talking about my action folder earlier. That's the ScanSnap software that does that for me. When I scan a document, it automatically saves into that action folder for me. Uh, I am so pleased they decided to sponsor this podcast because I am one of their biggest fans. So, David, I actually have all three of the ScanSnap models. I've got the big S1500 on my desk. I've got the medium one that you said is the briefcase model on my uh, desk at my office. And then the little tiny one is my travel scanner. And I have been using that all the time. I've been doing um, quite a bit of uh, mediations and uh, depositions where that scanner comes with me along with my MacBook Air and it just flits right in my briefcase. And a lot of times we're exchanging documents or I have to send information back to my clients. And it's so easy just to scan them right in. And the my clients are usually insurance adjusters or evaluators who are making decisions on cases. And you don't want to have to wait till you get back to the office, scan it in, send it to them with an email. You've got the person on the phone right there. So you scan the information that whoever has given you in, you send it off to them. And within a matter of seconds or minutes, they've got it right there in front of them that they can look at and make a decision. I've had more than one case settle because I was able to scan the information and get them to it right there and there within the course of a of a mediation. So the scan snap has been invaluable in my practice in that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the S1100 is about the, it's about eight and a half inches wide. I mean, the, the width of a piece of paper and really low profile. So you could take that just about anywhere. Yeah, it's about the size of a large ruler, one of those large architectural rulers. And yeah, so it fits right in the bottom of your briefcase nicely, folds up very compactly, and you just slide it through and and... No, no power bricks, no nothing. The other so. thing is these scanners just run forever. The, like I said, four years ago, I bought the, it's not even the S1500M, it's the predecessor, which I think was the S500M. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that scanner, I've run thousands and thousands of pages through it. When I first got started on paperless four years ago, I took boxes and boxes of paper and scanned it all. Um, last year, I upgraded to an S1500M. It's got that's the new one, and it's got some great new features. Like it, it pings like with like a sonar ping each page as it goes through to make sure there's not two, and it figures out if there's two, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but the old scanner still works just fine, so I brought it to work, and that thing is still you know getting a lot of use every day, and the rollers are fine. And after four years, I've had, just had no issues with any of them. Very reliable scanners, right. So you can find more information about the whole ScanSnap line of products over at ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap MPU. And uh, we'll be talking more about ScanSnap throughout the course of the year and how we use it. And uh, we want to thank ScanSnap for their support of the Mac Power users and for making just the greatest scanners in the world, I think. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about how we, we use Hazel to manage our files. Um, as you know, David, I've been using Evernote more and more since our Evernote show for managing my documents. And, you know, ScanSnap will actually scan directly into Evernote. But for things that I don't need to scan because they've already come to me directly, I've got a, a Hazel rule that will monitor my downloads folder for PDFs that I have downloaded and put them directly into Evernote. And it will rename them, put my... I, I like to rename things with a specific pattern. So, for example, my AT&T bill, 
Um, it will, Hazel has a, a rule where you can check the source URL. So if the source URL is att.com, if I've downloaded the PDF from att.com, it will see that. It will rename it with the pattern AT&T and then date created and then the extension. And then there's a little three or four line Apple script that tells the application Evernote to activate and create a note from that file and rename that file, pull that file into Evernote and then move the original PDF to the trash. So I don't end up with duplicates in my downloads folder and in Evernote. And I've got a, that's just one example, but I have several of those types of rules set up in my downloads folder for things like my utility bill and my water bill and anything that's not sensitive, that's going to go straight into Evernote without any other processing. Yeah. I, I mean, we've talked a lot about using rules based on names, but you can use them on other things like the source URL, I think is a great way. Or if you're OCR, uh, applying OCR to your documents, you can do it with, with that. Like if you could say the name contains AT&T invoice or whatever the language is in your AT&T bill. Hazel right. will look inside the file, which is pretty amazing. Like for instance, earlier I talked about the rule with me renaming a file and having Hazel automatically run these rules. If it was something that consistently had text inside, like uh, the Edison company, which is my local utility provider for electricity, uh, I could have Hazel run a rule on that, and I wouldn't even have to rename the file. I could have Hazel do the naming for me as well. Oh yeah, no, Hazel renames my file for me as well. I don't, I don't even touch it. I da- all I have to do is download the bill from the AT and T site. Unfortunately, Hazel doesn't go to the AT and T site and download my bill for me. Yeah, maybe one day. You never know. Um, all I have, to, all I have to do is download the PDF from AT and T's website, and as soon as that PDF hits, Hazel does the rest. It's automatically imported into Evernote. And the original file is deleted, so I never have to look at it. And it does that with a couple of different bills, not just my AT&T bill, but several different bills. When we talked earlier, I had a Magic Install disk, and it was a USB hard drive, which had a bunch of disk images from my favorite apps in them. So when I had to set up a new Mac, or if I had to rebuild a Mac, I just brought that with me, and it had everything I needed. I did a whole screencast on it, I'll put it in the show notes. And that's all done with Hazel rules, just looking at the types of files and moving them to the external device. And it's really not difficult. It's probably a pretty simple application based on some of the other things we've talked about and our listeners have written in about. I'd have to say now, several years later, I don't use this magic install disk as much as I used to because things have changed a little bit. Um, Number one is I, I think I'm more comfortable with the internet, you know, giving me installation disks for my apps and I'm realistic that things change so fast. You know, I don't have as many disk images because when I need to set up a new Mac, I may just go to the internet to make sure I get the most recent version. And of course the Mac app store has really changed things for me because I've made a conscious effort to buy apps. If they're available in both places uh, to buy them in the Mac app store, unless I've got a really good reason not to, like we talked about earlier in the show. So now when you set up a new Mac, you just, input your credentials in the Mac app store and most of your apps are already there for you. So this is really isn't as big of a deal now as it used to be, but I still like it. And for instance, uh, when you get your new scan snap, it comes with a CD with the f- software on it. You know, it's just one of those, you know, weird things that some companies still do that, especially hardware companies. Well, I'll make a disc image of that in disc utility and I'll save that to my magic install disc because it's so convenient to have it. I did the same thing with iWork09. I made a disk image of the install disk 
So when I'm installing iWork on my computer, for one reason or another, I can just do it from there. I don't have to go dig out the, the disk. Well, you know how we talked a little bit earlier about how you've got this this rule for attorneys when you're sending more private information that it will encrypt the PDF and do things? Well, Merlin Mann has a tip. He calls it the imperfect art of sending secret stuff. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Merlin and I have a very similar workflow on that. Uh, he did a thing with it that I had never thought of, is when he creates a file, a secret file he wants to send to somebody, he uses 1Password, our sponsor, to generate a password, like a really goofy, you know, one password, password type name. And he puts that to the name of the file. So if someone is looking at the file, they don't see it says 2010 tax returns. You know, instead right. it says some, you know, crazy. AFQ43Z12 yes. something. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it that way nobody can guess the file. Um, uh, he also, as I understand it, creates separate folders for each transaction, especially if it's very sensitive, which I think is something I'm going to start doing. Like the the one hole in my system I thought of as I was saying it online to our thousands of listeners was, well, now I just told everybody if they look at my action folder <laughs> or my sharing folder on Dropbox, if they can get to that, they can guess a name, then they can get those files. Uh, he makes a specific folder for each, I guess I'd call it transaction or transfer. Right. Uh, but otherwise, he does the same thing. He uses Hazel, and he copies it over after 36 hours to some other place. Uh, in my case, uh, I create those folders. They're they're encrypted zips. They're created from some source document that's not available somewhere else. It's not on my Dropbox, for instance. Um, so I don't worry about having to move the the zip folder or the encrypted PDF to some other offsite location to keep it because I already have the source stuff anyway. My Hazel rule doesn't move it. It deletes mm -hmm. the file. Right. Uh, another thing he said that I thought was a good idea, I talked about how I always call them on the phone to give them a password. He says essentially the same thing. You send it to a separate email or you send them a text message with the link or you do something where you're not putting all the information in one place. Good tip. I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. To Merlin's post. So we're going to talk about going paperless. We've got a going paperless follow-up episode. I think we're going to shoot for that sometime in April or maybe May. But there are a couple of tips that we can use with Hazel for being productive when it comes to a paperless workflow. And we got a bunch of tips from listeners in respect to that. So we'll we'll try to cover some of them here, but we're going to go a lot more in-depth in this topic uh, in a future episode. Yeah, like uh, this month. It's, it's well on Is it going to be later this month? Hopefully. All right. I think so. I think so. Okay. Uh, one of one of my frustrations, I would use my ScanSnap, and ScanSnap has the ability to scan directly into Evernote, which I love because I'm using Evernote, as I said, more and more for everything. I've got this big basket of, of paper that every weekend I go through as it accumulates, and I scan about 95% of that stuff as long as it's not sensitive information into Evernote. So you set up the ScanSnap and you configure it, and it scans into Evernote, but because of the way it works... It also keeps a copy of the PDF on your computer as well. Now, I have a scans folder on my computer. By default, everything went into the scans folder. And although not everything went into Evernote, enough went in there that it, I was finding that I had a lot of duplicate documents. I had these PDF in the scans folder, 
but I had all these PDFs in Evernote and it was just kind of a pain to sort through. So finally I got smart and I configured the scan snap preference on my, on my scanner software to say, if you're scanning it into Evernote, then I want you to specifically put it in this folder called scanned to Evernote within a subfolder of my scans folder. So when something gets scanned into Evernote, I check, I make sure I verify it's there. The PDF doesn't go into my general scans folder. It goes into the scanned into Evernote folder. And then Hazel watches that scanned into Evernote folder. And I think I've got it set to after 10 days, it removes it. So it gives me a good cushion of time to wait and see if for any reason I need to go back and pull that out because there was a problem with the scan. Uh, And if not, it's gone. Yeah. I mean, no more duplicate scans. We talk about file management, but but Hazel really lends itself to document management, which is kind of a subset of file management. UV Zalco from uvzalco.com, the guy who makes the awesome little screencasts about a failed writer, one of my favorite people mm-hmm. on the internet. He does a thing uh, like you where he looks at the source URL address. If it includes chase.com, for instance, he has it where it applies a name and then sends it off to his receipts folder. And that's just kind of picking up on stuff we've already covered in the show, but it just gives you an example of how useful it is to have these uh, paperless workflows using uh, Hazel. It's it's an essential tool for Hazel. And uh, we're going to, like I said, we are going to talk about this in the show, but I think the show we do later in the month on paperless, but I think that Hazel makes a nested folder system possible for document storage as opposed to something else. Without Hazel, I'm not sure you could do it. And the important thing to note is that you can use Hazel in conjunction with other applications or other rules that you have on your Mac. So, for example, if you are putting these things into a nested file or a nested folder structure, you can then have folder actions that are set to go beyond what Hazel can do and do certain things with these folders. So, for example, in a previous show, we talked about how you can use PDF Pen, which is made by another one of our sponsors, Smile, to do optical character recognition on PDFs that you put on these folders by setting up a folder action to automatically OCR using PDF Pen, anything that's put into a specific folder. Um, and David, you did a whole post over on Max Sparky about that. And it's it's too much to go into on, a, on an audio podcast, but I think we'll just put a link um, to your Max Sparky post that actually has the the Apple script that you use to create the folder action and, and how you actually do that. Yeah, there. and PDF Pen has been updated since then, so the, the Apple script needs some modification. It's not quite – I'm actually in the process of rewriting that. But oh, okay. the idea is when you put a document in that folder, it automatically opens PDF Pen, performs the OCR for you. Um, yeah. You know, OCR has become a lot easier than it used to be. You know, now you just open a file in PDF Pen and it automatically performs OCR for you. It's Or if you've got an Evernote paid account, you upload a PDF and it's automatically performing OCR for you. So it's not as big of a barrier of entry as it used to be. I remember when OCR first started showing up, it was really a task. I mean, you had to go through and help it through because the software wasn't smart enough to figure out what was words and what was pictures and all these other problems. Now it's pretty simple to get OCR done on your files. Uh, well, this becomes important for me because there are, there are certain documents that I won't put into Evernote because you know it's cloud-based. And for example, there's certain bits of information I don't want to go in the cloud. I don't want my social security number to go in the cloud. I don't want my credit card numbers to go in the cloud. And maybe that's me being overly paranoid. Maybe that information is already out there, but you know, I just don't want to put it out there if I can help it. So I have a certain subset of Hazel rules 
that download statements from banks like, um, you know, wherever my credit card is with that actually, you know, because why do they do this? Your your credit card statement has your full credit card number on that. You know, that thing that they send you in the mail. Yeah. Why? Why is that? It's also that when they when you download it from their website. So I have all of those statements set to download to a separate folder uh, with a folder action. You know, Hazel moves them into this folder, and then a folder action kicks off and OCRs them using PDF Pen. And then I go back with PDF Pen using their redact feature and redact that information before they go anywhere else. Yeah, that makes sense. And maybe that's paranoid, but... It definitely takes a lot of time, I'm sure. Um, not as much as you would think, because the whole process is automated except for the redaction, and I can do a whole year worth of statement redaction in probably less than 10 minutes. Okay, that's not so bad. So, no, it's pretty easy. Now, Eddie Smith did another post on Hazel and Text Expander filing, which kind of follows in some of the themes we've done on this show. I'm going to go ahead and just link it. You can go check it out if you want, but he's talking about using Text Expander to name it and then Hazel to automatically file it, which which works. Right. And then there's a, a whole subset of, of um, people who have written us in about dealing with text in Hazel. And I admit, David, that I never really thought about this, but I figure you would be all over it. Yeah, no, I, Gabe and I have actually talked about this. Gabe at Mac Drifter. And by the way, if you haven't, you should really check out MacDrifter.com. Gabe has like turned it up a notch the last six months or so. And he's putting out a lot of really quality posts that are related to automation and writing and the kinds of stuff that, that all of us that listen to the show are kind of excited about. So go check it out. But anyway, he sent us a couple notes about some of his favorite um, Hazel related posts and we'll just put them in the show notes. But one of them is he uses a, a rule to archive NV alt records, you know, so NV alt, if you use it the way most of us do, you've got a, a bunch of little text files, you know, because NV alt you can use, and we've talked about NVAL on the show before, but let me back up a little bit. NVAL is a great text editor. It's a it's a, basically a fork of notational velocity. NVAL is really engineered by our friend Brett Terpstra, and it does some amazing stuff and allows you to manage lots of little pieces of text. So, with that background, you can save the NVAL data as one big file or as a bunch of little text files, which makes a lot more sense when you're sharing the data to your iOS device, your iPad or you're putting it on Dropbox or whatever. With all that background, uh, Gabe made a rule that looked at certain text files that come out of NVAlt and saves them to an archive file when he's done with them. So if he's got an, a, a text file where he's tracking notes on a big project at work, and when the project's over, he marks it as archive, and then NVAlt saves that into the name, then... Hazel sees the name with the word archive in it, and it whisks the file out of the NVALT folder and puts it into someplace else for him. And it keeps his... And the way that this works is because NVALT actually has this all organized as separate text files in a folder structure, right? Yeah, so he's just monitoring that folder structure. As soon as he adds the magic word to the name, away it goes. Okay. It's kind of cool. I mean, you could do it. You could also do it, I guess, if you wanted to send them to somebody. I could see some other uses for it as well. Um, I know my NVALT database is kind of insane with the number of files I have in it, but I can't bring myself to archive that stuff off because I like having those notes and they're just text files anyway. And it seems to manage them. Okay. Um, I mean, for instance, with the day job, I keep an NVALT note for every case I work on and every, you know, both transaction and litigation matter. 
And I always put in there the names of the attorneys. And the, so sometimes I'll just type a name into my NVL database and I'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that guy had him on this case or that case. And I like having that stuff available to me. And it's working fast enough that I don't see any reason to put it off. But, you know, for, for Gabe, it works just fine. Gabe also wrote us about how he's able to post to his WordPress blog using Simple Note or Dropbox. So what he does is he takes a he writes his post in text and then he takes a text file and puts it in a specific Dropbox folder and then he creates a Hazel rule that monitors this folder um and it can go either through NVAlt or Simple Notes or whatever, but it monitors this folder to find uh, the specific tag that he's he's tagged this post with. And um, once it does that, it uses a Python rule. So it runs the shell script command uh, and then runs with Python. And he, he provides the rule, and I'll put a link in the show notes to his WordPress post. Um, and you'll have to p- plug in it with your own WordPress or whatever credentials uh, that will then take that, process it, and post it to his WordPress blog. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. That is very awesome. <laughs> I like that. So you can, I mean, you can get very, very complicated if you want to get into scripting with this. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, uh, we also heard from John who uses a task list from text. He manages a task list from text. So he uses NVL on his phone um, uh, for meetings and notes logs. And then he stores the notes as separate files, like we were talking about earlier, which syncs through Simple Note which on his iPad and his iPhone. And so then he's got these things linked everywhere. And while taking the notes, he uses the, the, the designation dot JT for John's task and text expander to trigger a snippet, which adds a, um, a, a bigger group of text in there that, that he uses to go from there to creating a, uh, a rule in Hazel. Am I, I think I'm making this confusing. I almost have to write it down to show people how it works. But <laughs> okay. so, that, so then he's got a folder in NVALD that he has these rules that follow anything in there. And if he finds that with that magic uh, snippet expansion that he uses, then it creates a task out of that. So he uses it in a way to essentially add ta- tasks. In fact, that's kind of a common theme with some of the emails we got. People want to create tasks for OmniFocus or from for some other task management system, but they don't have it available to them everywhere, whether it's in the case of OmniFocus, it's not on their PC or some other task management app that's not on their iPad. So they create a rule that automatically names a text file. And then they have on the opposite end, wherever their task management application is, they have a script or a Hazel rule that allows it to grab that text and then create a new task out of it. It's pretty complicated, really, all of these implementations. But if that's what it takes to get a task in, it works. Gabe did a similar thing with OmniFocus and a watched folder. And he did a link on that, too. He did a post on that. So I'll go ahead and put that one in the show notes. We're going to have a lot of Gabe um, posts on this on these show notes. As well, we should. Yeah. All right. I think we're about hazeled out. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we've... We, I hope I've whetted your appetite on this application. And w- depending on what you do in your life, I'm pretty sure you're going to find a way to make it easier with this application if it involves files in any sort uh, whatsoever. So I guess I could say if you work on a computer, this could make your life easier. So go check it out if you haven't. Get the 14-day trial. Um, the uh, 
if you've got questions, look at the show notes. There's a bunch of rules in there. There's also a great website at, and I believe it's still there, at NoodleSoft, where they sell a Hazel. They have, under the support tab, they have forums. And you kind of have to dig for it. But once you get into the forums, if you go in there, there's a forum called Tips and Tricks Rule Recipe Exchange. And there's a bunch of rules in there that people put in when they think of something smart. And uh, you'll find a bunch of great rules in there as well. So go check that out. Listen to the show, work through it, and you'll be amazed how quickly you find yourself using Hazel to be more efficient on your Mac. Yeah, and uh, leave a comment in the comments of the show notes over at MacPowerUsers.com if you've got additional Hazel tips that you find after trying Hazel out that you want to share with the world. Yeah, definitely. So we've got a bunch of feedback, but before we do that, why don't we uh, take a break and hear from our last sponsor, and that is 1Password. Uh, so, David, we talked about cleaning up your life with Hazel. It's probably a good time to also talk about cleaning up uh, your passwords with 1Password. And, you know, you can use 1Password to create strong, secure, unique passwords across any website, any platform, Mac, PC, iPhone, iPad, Android, anything, uh, and have strong, secure, unique passwords. There is no excuse anymore to use the same password on multiple websites. Your 1Password database syncs with Dropbox. It is everywhere that you need it, and you can autofill your passwords from multiple web browsers. In fact, they just updated uh, their extensions again for all of the passwords. So I think they now have um, all of their extensions updated in uh because, you know, there, there's been this browser game where all the browsers have been constantly updating and uh, 1Password has been on top of that. So all of their browser extensions are are newly updated as well. It's crazy how quickly they can support these browsers as they come out. You know, we've got a Chrome, Safari, and Firefox all in this, you know, arms race to have the fastest and greatest browser. And as soon as they release something new, the guys at 1Password... <laughs> I imagine these guys like in a room, like sleeping on beds and then an alarm goes off and they go down a pole and there's like a bunch of Macs <laughs> down there and they like immediately start reprogramming the extensions. You know, we've talked about uh, tidying things up. You can really, once you get in the hang of one password, you can get in, end up with a lot of passwords in there. And one of the things we haven't talked about for keeping your one password collection nice and tidy is that you can use tags within one password that you can tag and organize your passwords into certain categories. And then you can even set up rules and folders and collections within one password to further organize. And listener Beth wrote in with a tip about organizing her collection. So basically what Beth does is let's say she goes to a conference or she's at a hotel or something but she she tags all of her passwords that are going to be temporarily important with the tag temp or you know something or she'll put important until and a date in in the notes so if a password expires after a certain date and then she will make a smart folder within one password with all of the items that are labeled temp and so she'll go from that go through that from time to time and uh, she'll clean that out and delete and unsubscribe from any inactive logins that expiration dates have passed. So you can use this, you know, when you're traveling or you can use this when you're working on a short term project and the uh, the one passwords or the passwords that you've been uh, given have already expired. You can also use this to, you know, like you were talking about in the last episode, David, how you change all of your super critical passwords uh, every couple of months when the clocks change, you can also use a tag to rate your highly critical passwords or your passwords for financial institutions or however you want to rate them. 
so that you know, easy, you have all those passwords uh, in a single folder and tagged exactly what you need to go in and change. Yeah, you know, Beth's tip really makes a lot of sense to me, and it never occurred to me because I always use the inverse of this. I have a tag called DEFCON 5, you know, back from War Games, right? So those are the ones right. that if I need to go through and update my passwords, those are the ones that get changed. iCloud, Dropbox, you know, uh, PayPal, those kinds of passwords. I never thought of the idea of a temporary tag where now, like, if I'm going out of town and there's certain passwords I know I'm going to need, then it'll be very quickly to get to those. I'm going to set this up. I'm taking a trip this week, so I'm, I'm going to use this tip right now. Thanks, go. Beth. You can pick up one password in the Mac App Store for $49.99, or from their website, you can get a Mac and Windows bundle if you're a slider and have to use both platforms for $69.99. Their iOS Pro version, which will work on both iPads and iPhones, is $14.99, or their uh, single version, either for the iPad or the iPhone, is $9.99. Uh, And remember, you can get 20% off of anything you purchase directly from their website by using the link on our website. And you can find more information over at OnePassword.com, and we thank them for their support of Mac Power users. So, Katie, do you remember when we decided to do another Hazel show and we thought it was going to be too short? Yeah, how'd that work out for us? Not so well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, we've gone long, but let's do some feedback anyway. We got a lot of great feedback about the Google show, and uh, it was all pretty encouraging, really. Um, Some people were not happy with us uh, talking about the sacred cow, uh, but most people actually had a lot of thoughts about uh, scaling back their Google presence. Uh, Mike wrote in about Firefox, and I didn't realize that Firefox has a way to set DuckDuckGo as your default, and neither did you because neither of us really use it that much, but that was a good point. Yeah, you can set DuckDuckGo as your default uh, search engine in Firefox. And uh, we also learned from Mike, and I'm not sure if this is the same Mike or not, I apologize, that you can use the Safari Omnibar extension, which probably won't work in the uh, next version of the operating system, but get it while it lasts, and use DuckDuckGo within that. Now, that is an extension that you can pick up, and we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to install that. Um, I'm not a big fan of those extensions in the browser, but unless it's through Apple, because there's a lot of ways it seems like it can cause trouble, but it does work. I know people that use it, so you can do that if you want. Um, Brad wrote in about something that, you know, was in the outline and we never mentioned it, but you know, another option is just use Google without signing in. They can't track you if they don't know who you are. Um, sure. I don't know how that all plays out with your IPN number and the other things that they could track, but um, that's certainly better than you know lo- uh, logging in. I'm sorry, making a search without logging in is certainly better than making a search with logging in if you want to keep your privacy. Just be careful. It's really easy to log into Google and forget to log out. Yeah, because they have so many services, and they they make sure to keep you logged in once you're in. Uh, Yannick wrote in about Google and Jabber, and we were talking about Google Talk and different um, instant messaging alternatives. And he pointed out, which I knew, but I think I neglected to say in the show, that Google Talk is based off the Jabber chat standard, uh, which is decentralized, which means you can just sign up for another Jabber server and continue to chat with your Google Talk friends, you know, just as you normally have. So um, now you can't do audio or video chat with this. Um, but you can, you know, do regular text chat. And I believe you can even set this up through messages if they haven't changed it in the new beta. 
We had several people write in about a recent Google patent that got published before, I'm sorry, since we published the show. And what it does is Google can now, they're getting a patent to listen to the background noise when you're on a phone call and figure out wonderful yeah figure out where you are at and what you're doing i guess if they hear a train whistle or something they assume you're at a train station and then they'll serve you ads based on where they decide you're at um this was confusing to me yeah. in a couple ways um if they want to know where you're at with the gps stuff they could figure that out a lot easier than trying to listen to background noise so then it got me thinking well are they trying to figure a way to target ads based on what you're saying and if they do that that's really creepy and and it's not clear from the articles on this whether or not that they're going to serve this ad in a browser. So I guess if you're on the phone, it would serve it to your browser. Or are they going to email you? Or are they going to literally you know, inject a, a pleasant voice on your phone call reminding yeah, you? Yeah, is that how they're going to make money off of Google Talk is you're going to have to listen to an ad first or a Google Google Voice? I, I don't know. I mean, this is uh, you know, patents you can take with a grain of salt. A lot of companies patent things they have no intention of ever making public or using just to protect the technology. But I'm not real excited about a future where someone is listening to my calls in any context to serve me ads. Uh, Scott wrote in and talked about something that we neglected and just completely missed in our outline is that a lot of the services based in OS 10 server can be used as a Google alternative. Um, so that was something that I didn't even think about, but he's he's right. You, you can set up your own web server, your own Jabber server, um, your own mail server, uh, all kinds of things you can do with OS X server that would be a replacement to some of Google services. So that might be something worth checking out. Now, depending on, on how in-depth you want to get, you may need a dedicated box connected to the Internet, and uh, you know, it depends on how heavy a load you want to use. But uh, especially for a lot of calendaring things, a lot of this can be set up using OS 10 server. Yeah. The, uh, there was an article that went up in it world. I posted a link to it at Max Sparky. It was referred to us by, by George Starcher, one of the guests on our show. And, uh, Tom Henderson at it world wrote an article called how I divorced Google. I mean, this stuff doesn't come out of a vacuum. I think there's a lot of people that are asking questions about this now. And I thought Tom did a really good job of explaining what he's done. And he's kind of tracking it over time to see where he's running into trouble. So, if you're thinking about going down that path, this would probably be a good article to follow. I'm sure he'll do some follow-ups on it as, as he gets further down this road. Right. Um, and Evan wrote in with an idea of kind of replacing Google with Google. If you don't like the idea of the free Google services where you feel like they're tracking and selling ads based on everything, uh, consider a Google Apps for Businesses account, which gives you a 99.9% .9 uptime guarantee and they actually provide you with some support. I have not done the due diligence and the investigation to know exactly what their policy is in terms of privacy on the business-based accounts compared to the free accounts. Um, I, if anybody has any information on that, I would certainly welcome the feedback, but that might be an alternative. You know, we had that in our outline about a paid account with Google and when we got to it, I skipped it just because of that. I didn't feel comfortable recommending it because I don't really know where the lines are drawn. And since then I've researched it a little bit and there is no clear answer. You know, like the way DuckDuckGo says, we will never track your information, period. I couldn't find anything that said that on Google's website about the paid account. So maybe they do track, maybe they don't. I don't know. And it, it 
certainly isn't easy to find out the answer to that question, which makes me think something is going on. If you weren't tracking, I think I would be screaming it from the rooftops, but it doesn't appear they are saying that. I, I just don't know, I guess. So the question is, if someone knows, let us know, and we'll put that in a further uh, feedback show. But it is a little creepy, and I would like well, to Well, it also, answer. though, it's, you know, if you think about one of those grids, you know, you've seen those when you compare two services, and it has the checkbox, this service has this, this service doesn't. I mean, if you look at a service that says regular Google and pro Google, and one says we track everything you do and one doesn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you get a little freaked out about the regular Google tracking everything you do? I mean, how many people really know that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like they should make it clear, uh, but they I'm, should, they should make it clear. Okay. Absolutely. So how do you get a hold of us? Well, you can find links to everything that we've talked about. Um, and uh, links to all of our past episodes over at www.macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us email at feedback at macpowerusers.com. Or we're on Twitter. The show is at macpowerusers. I'm at Katie Floyd, and he's at Max Sparky. And uh, thanks for our sponsors, Fujitsu, Pixelmator, and 1Password for supporting the show. Great to have all of you yeah. on board, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we've got a very busy April. I think there are five weekends in April, and we were planning on taking one of them off, but we've got so much stuff to pack in. Uh, We'll be back next week with another show on spring cleaning, right? It's time. It's time. It's time. Spring's here. Uh, So I'll see you then.